You may be seated. Welcome to Byfield Parish Church. This morning we have a little bit of an unusual Sunday today. Uh, we're having a hymn Sunday, if, in case you haven't noticed. This is something we haven't done in a long time. And part of that was because there's not a lot of space up here, uh, which is a source of rejoicing for us because it means that this week we are going to have a lot of kids in this building, as Chuck already mentioned. And there's just a lot of people serving in a lot of capacities to make this VBS possible. So I want to say a big thank you, a big preemptive thank you to all of those that are serving in various ways. A lot of the work that has to happen for something like a VBS program has to happen leading into the program itself. So there's already a lot of people that have put in uh, a ton of hours and that doesn't always go super smoothly. So thank you to those people for being willing to deal with the frustrations that inevitably arise with that. Um, it's also just, it's nice to be here with you all today, worshiping our Lord and Savior. Today is our second week in a new sermon series we will be doing throughout the summer. I guess it's new in that it's only been happening for a couple of weeks, but it's not new in that it's a continuation of a sermon series that we have been doing for the past several summers. I know some of you may not have been here last week since it was July 4th, so you may have missed the start of this series, which is titled Cognitive Behavioral Theology. Last summer, we focused on the theology of man. The summer prior to that, we focused on the theology of God. And this summer, we are exploring the theology of Jesus. And we are attempting to do so in a systematic way. Now, Jesus is the most debated figure in history. People have debated everything about his life. In recent years, Jesus' politics have been a hot topic. Now, just, just so everybody can calm down, we're not going to get into that today. But sometimes you will see online, somebody will post something about what they think Jesus tax policy would have been. If Jesus were walking around this world now, my bet is he would not give an answer that would be very satisfying if somebody asked him what he thought the tax rate should be. I don't, I don't think he would have told us what he believed the appropriate taxes for capital gains should be. When he was asked a question about taxes during his life on this earth, he certainly didn't give an answer that satisfied the people asking. The biggest debate, though, the debate that every generation has had again and again is about who Jesus was. Was he a man, God, or both? And that is the question we are going to start addressing today. In our search for answers, we will turn to John chapter 10 and read verses 22 through 30. If you're using the Pew Bible, you can turn to page 
843. Those verses are also printed in your bulletin. Again, we'll be reading from the 10th chapter of the Gospel of John, verses 22 through 30. Hear the word of the Lord. At that time, the Feast of Dedication took place at Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was walking in the temple in the colonnade of Solomon. So the Jews gathered around him and said to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me, but you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Amen. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Jesus is God. The alternative to him being God doesn't fit with the available evidence. Any person can certainly reject this truth. But remaining agnostic about it is not a viable option. If Jesus is God, he must be listened to. If he is not, he should be ignored or even condemned. While belief is important, it is not the be-all, end-all. People are called to do more than acknowledge facts about Jesus. We are called to be in relationship with Jesus, to listen to his voice. Those that know Jesus are secure. Our security is in Jesus. The personal implications of Jesus being God are immense for each of us. This truth changes the way we live and think. Throughout the Gospel of John, Jesus testified who he was with words and actions. Leading up to these verses that we read today, he has been pretty clear. His words have been consistent. Throughout the Gospel of John, Jesus makes a series of I am statements. He has already made a few of these statements. In John 6.35, he says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. In John 8, 12, he says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. In John 8, 58, he really made the people that were listening to him mad when he said, truly, truly, I say 
to you before Abraham was, I am. With each of these statements, Jesus is making a huge claim. Every time he says, I am, he is linking back to Moses standing before the burning bush. Moses asked God, who is speaking to him through the bush, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? God says in response, say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. Based off this interaction, the Jews' primary name for God was I am. For them, this name was the most sacred thing that could be spoken. Jesus is repeatedly saying he is the I am. He is God. Jesus' actions back up his word. Looking back through the preceding chapters of John, he has done a lot of things that only make sense if he is God as he claims to be. He has turned water into wine. He healed the son of the royal official. The man by the pool who had been crippled for 38 years was healed. 5,008, after Jesus blessed the meager rations that were available, Another man born blind received sight from Jesus. In John 9, that blind man that received sight makes it clear to the Pharisees that are harassing him that he knows what Jesus' actions mean. He says to them, why this is an amazing thing. You do not know where he, come, where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. The Pharisees didn't like hearing this, so they cast out the man who had been born blind that could now see. Those who say Jesus is keeping them in suspense at the beginning of today's verses don't agree Jesus has been clear. But really, they just don't want to acknowledge that Jesus is who he says he is. Doing so would force them to change everything about their lives. Nobody can keep on doing what they have been doing if Jesus' claims about being God are true. The desire to avoid change is a strong motivator for denial. I think this is one of the reasons that it is easier for young people to come to faith. They haven't built a whole life. Acknowledging Jesus as God won't cost them what they have spent 20, 40, or 60 years building. People hate losing. Economists have determined that the pain 
of losing is psychologically twice as powerful as the pleasure of gaining. The bias people have against losing, what someone has worked hard for, is called loss aversion bias. This bias keeps many people from acknowledging Jesus is God. For the people in the text we read today, and for many people today, they are fine with Jesus' teaching, so long as they don't have to agree with the claim, he is God. Believing this claim is true would require too much. C.S. Lewis has a famous quote that illustrates the bind Jesus claiming to be God puts people in. Lewis says, a man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with the man who says he is a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God, or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, you can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God, but let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. Jesus doesn't leave people the option of thinking of him as just a really good teacher. He is either God or he is a lunatic or just straight up evil. Imagine with me for a moment if you went to your primary care doctor for some sort of ailment and they wrote you a prescription. Then as you were walking out of the office, the doctor also mentioned that they were an alien. I doubt you would take their medical advice if you didn't believe they were an alien. I guess if you, this is not really relevant to the sermon, but I guess if you did believe they were an alien, that might make you more or less likely to fill the prescription because in one respect, aliens are really smart, supposedly, but in another respect, like, do they want good things for us? I don't, I don't know. If you believe in aliens, you can come talk to me about it. The point I'm actually trying to make is that Jesus makes clear he believes he is God. Nobody can say they like Jesus' teaching. He was just wrong about his divinity. That is not an inconsequential thing to get wrong. If Jesus were not God, we would be right to suspect everything he said otherwise. But Jesus is God, which means everything he said is authoritative. God's sheep know his voice. 
The only way to know who belongs to Jesus and who doesn't is those that belong to Jesus know him. Shepherds know their sheep, but sheep also know their shepherd. In the ancient world, the shepherd would be responsible for a flock, a, a group of sheep. He would take them out to pasture, and when the sheep were threatened, injured, or lost, the shepherd would do everything he could for them. Periodically, shepherds would bring several herds of sheep together. To the outsider, this jumbled mass of sheep would look like it was impossible to discern which sheep went with which shepherd. But neither the sheep nor the shepherd get confused regarding who belongs with who. When it was time for the herds to go their respective ways, the shepherds would call out. And the sheep that belonged to a particular shepherd, they would follow that shepherd. Now we think of being a Christian as having a significant intellectual component. To be a Christian, it is necessary to believe certain things. In line with today's sermon, believing Jesus is God is not optional. Anyone who would deny the unique divinity of Jesus is not a Christian. That is why Christians who are Orthodox in their beliefs don't believe Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses are actually Christians. They may appear similar in a variety of ways, but both groups deny Jesus' divinity in different ways. Although Mormons especially would definitely try to deny this is the case. I actually met with a couple of Mormon missionaries a few weeks ago. And the hardest thing about that interaction was not jumping down their throats when they spoke about Jesus. While intellectual belief is necessary, intellectual assent alone is insufficient. James 2.19 says, you believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Just knowing the truth doesn't make you a Christian. To be a Christian, you must know the shepherd. Jesus' voice must be what you follow. If you don't know Jesus' voice and desire to recognize it, you should seek it in faith. This desire is an indication that the Holy Spirit is at work in your heart. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door, it will be open to you. Sheep do more than recognize the voice of their shepherd. They follow it. We have to do more than recognize Jesus' voice. We have to follow it. Jesus is God, which means he is Lord. If we are not following him, we are denying he is the Lord God with our lives, despite whatever comes out of our mouths. This doesn't mean we have to be perfectly obedient. 
Verse 27 of today's text says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. Another famous Bible verse, Isaiah 53, 6, says, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Sheep follow their shepherd, even if they do at times have a tendency to wonder. Christians do the same. We will follow. Even if we do wander away from Jesus' voice, the voice of God, at times, our ultimate security is rooted in the fact that Jesus and God are one. This security is not a product of our following Jesus perfectly. Thank goodness it is not. We would have no hope. No offense to those of you in here, but I am still waiting to meet my first perfect Christian. I will, I will let you know when I run into that person but I am not holding my breath in anticipation. The grace shown Christians by Christ makes it possible for us to avoid sin. It does not make sin impossible for us. We are still vulnerable to this world's temptations. We are easily distracted by the things of this world we wonder from following Jesus easily. Thankfully, we are reliant on Jesus' competence. Anybody who has ever dealt with sheep can tell you that they are incompetent. Many of you probably saw the video making the rounds a month or two ago on social media where a young shepherd boy pulls a sheep out of a narrow ditch into which it had fallen. For those of you that didn't see this video, I'll describe it. It, it appeared to be a video taken in some country like, like Afghanistan or Pakistan or something like that. And there's this narrow ditch and you see a kid pulling on the leg of a sheep. And the sheep is down in the ditch. And he's pulling, he's pulling. Finally, he pulls the sheep out and sets it on the ground next to the sheep. And the sheep, it is ecstatic about being out of the ditch. And it goes bounding off, jumping across the field. And it gets about three jumps in and then immediately lands right back in the same ditch. Just immediately. The health and survival of sheep is dependent on their shepherd. Christians are dependent on our good shepherd, Jesus Christ. The secret to moving forward in faith is reliance in the place of independence. This is hard for us as Americans. We are not capable of figuring out the Christian life on our own. We need to look to Christ, our God, our Lord, and our Savior. Our ultimate reliance is on the promise communicated in today's verses. 
Jesus says, I give to them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. This statement is clear. We may ask if a certain person was actually a Christian at any point when we see them living a life that doesn't align with Christian belief. We can't know the spiritual state of others. What we can know is that Jesus doesn't lose sheep. He won't allow anyone to snatch his sheep away. He makes this claim with the utmost confidence. We can trust Jesus' ability to protect us because he and the Father are one. Questioning whether Jesus is able to do what he says is questioning his divinity. When the topic of eternal security comes up in conversation, I find that people that are insecure point out their own sin and failures. This is something that comes up pastorally every once in a while. Our failures are not bigger than Jesus. When we are struggling to feel secure in our faith, we would do well to focus more on Jesus than we focus on ourselves. Jesus and God are one. He is able to do more than we ask or imagine. We are secure in his hands. Earlier in this sermon, I referenced the verse from James that points out even the demons believe and shudder. What do we do with the information that Jesus is God? Well, we should think differently. Fear and anxiety are symptoms of not really believing Jesus is God. If you are living your life in fear, it means you don't think that Jesus is God in that area. It is a soft form of atheism. It means you don't think he has the goodness and greatness of God. I'm not pointing this out to shame anyone. I am just stating a fact. When we have worries, we should bring those concerns before Christ. We should compare what we are concerned about to the knowledge that Jesus is God. I find that when I do this, my fears seem to magically shrink. I am forced to realize how insignificant they are. Our behavior should likewise acknowledge Jesus is God. As God, Jesus could demand our obedience. He has every right to do so. He could punish our every misstep. That is not what he does. Even his discipline is rooted in a desire to draw us back into relationship. Jesus motivates us through his love. It is in Jesus' nature as God to engage us with love because he is love. In the centuries-old debate about who Jesus is, whether man, God, or both, we all have to make a decision. 
This is an intellectual decision we make, but it is not only intellectual. We show what we believe about Jesus with our lives. Our thoughts and actions show what we believe. A life that acknowledges that Jesus is God will be a life that is consistent with the basic truth on which all of our existence depends. Let's pray. Dear Lord, your word tells us that Jesus is God, that Jesus is Lord, and that's something that for many in this room, we believe. I pray for those that do believe it, that we would believe it with every area of our lives, with our intellect, with our actions. I pray that that would be a consistent theme, the grounding for our every thought and action, Lord. There are also those in this room that are struggling with what to do with Jesus, how to understand who he is, Lord. I pray that you would be with those here that are in the midst of that struggle and that you would work in their lives in such a way that they can no longer deny that Jesus is God. I ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.